hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Cotton and the Rocket Chip. I am your host, Lennox Mars Jr. And I want to thank you all for listening in. This is Season 1, Episode 29. And the name of this episode is going to be called What Went Wrong? Patriarchy 2. And the reason why I'm naming it What Went Wrong in Patriarchy 2 is that a couple of episodes back, um, my Strange Fruit Patriarchy More episode, I discussed what was going on, current events, and I really honed in on patriarchy from my perspective. And um, I was just tossing about some ideas and I wanted to continue on with patriarchy because there are some things that I wanted to discuss before I got into the division that we saw in with black men and black women. And for my audience, Cotton in a Rocket Ship is a, a book. It first started out as a book and now it's a podcast detailing my life from boyhood to manhood and how I see race growing up in America, but also I just want to add the point that race is also, it's nuanced and and it changes forms, so I may talk about race and its intersectionality between race and gender or race and politics or race and economics, it all plays a point in the overarching broad theme. And so I talk about it because it's a part of my, now currently my manhood, you know, not talking about it and discussing it because it's, it's something that's important to not only the future of how we shape it and also the future of how we're going to leave it behind for my, our sons and daughters and those who come after us. So I, I believe this is, this is a very important part. And I always want to to give it as much attention as necessary and give it the respect that it's due. So I want to, I named it What Went Wrong in Patriarchy 2 because um, my father, my father always would say, what's the greatest war that never happened? And I would say, what are you talking about? And he hit me with it twice before, and I always was like, what are you talking about? And he said, you don't know what the greatest war that ever happened? And I said, no, what is the greatest war that happened? He said, it's the war between men and women. And I would be like, what? That'll never happen. And I've been giving it some thought, and his... Him being uh, a man of, uh, I would just say this, elder black men give you these gems that's steeped in like Africanisms, right? They don't say much, but when they do, it's often something like thought-provoking and and something that you really could look at later and revisit and say like ah 
And so I've been giving this some thought when I talk about patriarchy. It's like, what's the greatest what ever happened? Um, and I just say it's the war between men and women. And I just all automatically, my brain goes to like Themyscira. It goes to Wonder Woman. It goes to to something in like a land of make-believe or an episode of Futurama when there was like a planet with all women and um, they all liked Fry. So for my audience, I do like science fiction. I like anime. I like animated cartoons like uh, Rick and Morty. Anything that kind of has a a realistic spin on it. I've been watching these things for years. So. Thinking about Themyscira and Wonder Woman, that is not too far off in the distant future. And this is why I say this, right? The Me Too movement happened. And it happened. And it's not a flash in the pan. It happened and a lot of men, powerful men, went down. And rightfully so. I'm not going to get into whether it was rightfully so. And looking at how women operated through the system because the system wasn't giving them the, the reciprocity they needed. So for, for those who didn't know, I, I worked at a university for a number of years and the numbers just at the university level was ridiculous with sexual assault and rape amongst women. Um, the numbers could be as low as one in five and as high as one in four. So that's ne- nearly 20 to 25%, depending on the institution. Some institutions are higher. Some institutions are lower, of course, but the national average was like one in five or one between one in five and one in four. So that's about 20%, 20 to 25%, I should say, of women in college. It doesn't matter race of women, but just women in general. So now in race, they, it could be higher or lower. So white women and black women kind of led the, the, the lead in if you kind of started breaking down the racial characteristics of, of, of sexual assault and domestic violence and sexual abuse. So there's these categories amongst it. And the interesting thing, I was like, wow, this number is ridiculously high because we had to go to like Title IX training and Title VII training and sexual assault, harassment training. This is something that has to happen every year. It's federally mandated that you have these trainings, which is amazing to me because you have these trainings and, and people still abuse these policies, even on the the um, the professional level, I should say. You know, these things always happen. And sometimes they just don't, they, they and that's what's reported that's the, 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 the part that seeps in. That's the reported part. So majority of the cases go not go reported. A lot of the women who are abused and sexually assaulted do not choose to. It's their right whether they want to go through the process of, of a rape kid or go through the process of it all because it's just it's too much too traumatic of an experience. And I just was like, these numbers are terribly high. And when Me Too started coming around, you see the Harvey Weinsteins, you see the Bill Cosbys, you see 
it uh, it was an, uh, a general who couldn't get appointed or he was appointed, some very powerful men started to just topple overnight. And, and for men in general, they were looking around like, yo, what is going on here? Like, I didn't know it was this bad. Like, I was one of the men that said, oh, I didn't think it was damn that bad. But when I really look back at the numbers, I'm like, man, this is crazy so we, we live in this bubble of patriarchy and that and that doesn't help us see things in in the terms that they are we know that it's terrible for women but we don't know it, it, exactly how terrible it is because they they live in it they're steeped in it so for example um when i was like an ra i would often tell we would often tell our our, our residents you know group up make sure you how do how do you walk at night make sure if you if you're drinking and you leave your drink don't come back to it make sure you put a napkin over the top of your can and then put the straw through the through the can to make sure that no one's slipping a roofie or or any type of date rape drug and we give women a, a battery of of things to combat sexual assault and sexual abuse but that's wrong. It's almost like you know the climate, and so I'm going to tell you, here, here's your mace, here's your pepper spray, here's your gun, here's your vest, here's this, here's that, and the third. And then when they come back and you're like, why didn't you do these things? It's like, yeah, dude, I'm a human being, and I can get that. So it took me some time to really digest this and get out of my 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 manhood baggage I had to kind of unpack that and so it was like dude I'm a human being I just want to live and exist and I feel for that I have empathy for that because this is the climate we created for them and it's almost like being a, a black man looking at it from my lens it's like the climate that you're, you're inherited and it's like dude I just want to live my life I have to why do I have to go out? Why can't I wear what I want to wear? You know, we often bash women and say, like, maybe you shouldn't wear that because it's 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 stimulating. No, no, why, why maybe men should just keep their damn things in their pants. And so it's like when we really look at it and fine-tune it and go down to the root of it, it's like all of it is victim, victim blaming or creating a society where we are, quote-unquote, trying to empower the victim but we're not. We're not giving them the tools necessary or we're not creating the society necessary in order to have healthy dialogue and healthy women or, or, or even allowing them to grow in, in their natural beauty. You know, like we're, we're kind of just cutting them off at the head because it's just society. And it's like, oh, okay, we'll get better. We'll pay them less. Um, one of the things about patriarchy is that before the pandemic, I watched my son, um, during, now I should say watch, but I'm parenting my son more often because, you know, there's no childcare for those who are outside of the country listening in there, there's no childcare. And and normally I would take him to my mom, but I just don't want to risk exposure to him and, and her as well too because she's up in age I don't want to ever I just don't want that on my soul and spirit so I've just for my audience you should see me I, I look like 
fresh out of the wilderness, like full beard, a lot of hair. But moving forward is that I watch my son every day. My um, fiance, she has to go to work and I work from home. And I often would say like, you know, women shouldn't be paid for childcare, it's their own children. But I'm like, man, childcare one is expensive. Two, I know what it is to watch one child. So to watch multiple children, two, three children, it's, it's, it's challenging for, just imagine if you, she wants to go out, you know, finding a babysitter, finding an adequate babysitter, finding a reasonably priced babysitter. And those things aren't, they don't come hand in hand. If you want a great babysitter, you're going to have to pay some good money for that. And then who do you trust with your child? So even to experience life, these are the burdens we give and place on women. And I would never say, I would never twist my mouth and say that childcare or watching your own kids isn't a full-time job. It is. I, I can't even get work done sometimes with with my son because he's just so energetic and and I don't I don't raise him to be like in one spot. He, he's all over the place. I, we have tutor time, but just the burden, the undue burden that we place on women to perform these duties and then we get less and less. So, for example, I wanted to go into the nuclear family and how that looked. Like, men's responsibilities have lessened for women. You know, granddaddy back in the day used to take care of grandma and bring home the quote-unquote bacon and she used to live at home but I don't even believe that as well but we have this theme of the new the nuclear family so for my audience the nuclear family is the, the husband the wife the two and a half children which is two children and, and the dog with the white picket fence and you often see these families play out in the 1950s like leave it to beaver is a great example so this nuclear family is this dynamic where the father went home he he went out to work he came home and your your wife would have his shirts pressed and ironed and and washed and cleaned the kids are washed and clean she would have dinner prepared at 6 p.m and everything was just great It's a lie. Even for my community, the nuclear family never existed. It just didn't exist in the inception of slavery. Slaves couldn't, quote unquote, legally marry. And then when they did marry, black women always worked. Always. So, (laughs) there goes that nuclear family thing. You know, black men never could have... They had to go elsewhere. They pretty much were domestic migrant workers, so to speak. What I mean is that black men would often have to go where work was provided. So they didn't live with grandma. They lived, they had to go to Chicago and North New Jersey and then send passage for family. So essentially, that was never the nuclear family. Or adults up in age, grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, aunt 
children would all live in one flat or kind of like a domicile that was the nuclear family so I challenge that notion but we still keep that in our heads today that's the point I'm getting at we still keep this nuclear family in our heads and propagated as the, the man should go out and and be the breadwinners, but that's not the case. The women actually outpace us. Women actually outpace men here in America, especially in my community. And I'm speaking of the black and African-American community where women outpace men and they they achieve more than than us. And I, when I say us, it's black men. And they make more money than black men on, on average. But going back to the greatest war that ever happened is that do women actually need men? And I would laugh. I used to laugh at my dad. I'm like, what are you talking about? Women essentially do not need men. And I know for those who say, oh, they need us to procreate. There's modern science. Even when you go back to current science, women have have once had the ability to be asexual. These are things that they explore. They, they were able to reproduce on their own. Hmm. I won't get into that piece, but if that is the case, Women definitely didn't need men. And so what does that mean about biblical days? These are just thoughts I'm spitting, so don't mind me. But I go in to say that do women actually need men in today's time? There's in vitro fertilization. A man can deposit thousands of cells at one time in ejaculation so saying that is that a woman essentially or women essentially could just find a strong man and women and men don't care so you know they don't care about their their dna it's something in our 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 biology that just allow us to be seed spreaders you know that we don't care how much we can procreate because I, we just don't care because we just want to see our genetic code pass along. That's just a biological function of us being part animal. So a woman, women could essentially just purchase off the, the best possible male, get thousands of his, his genetic code, and essentially raise children on their own and they can then decide whether they want women or men almost like Themyscira so that's not too far off because thinking about it now we haven't given women a fair shake they had to literally fight for the right to vote Black men had the right to vote prior to women. 
and I um I looked at I was reading some articles by Ida B. Wells. Um, she is an a civil rights activist, an editor, a prolific mind, and she's a black woman who is she's kind of like the archetype of archetype of the first black feminist. Um, because there's some distinctions between the feminist movement and and Ida often made the distinction like you know where does she place herself amongst women and then her being also a black woman so in today in today's times we do see a lot of black feminists but uh you know we have to make the distinction of are they from the 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 direct stem of like the margaret sangers or the lucy stones to um to ida herself because Ida actually was a champion for civil rights before there was a civil rights movement. You know, she was she predates that, but she um, wrote a lot about her identity, identity being both woman, both being female and being black, and the trials and tribulations of of, of her going through this. And I do have to say that black men have put black women through the ringer, so to speak. And um, we have been oppressive in nature. Um, And one of my friends, she often said that what's scary about black men is that, and I'm paraphrasing her words, she said what's scary about black men at times is that they side themselves with the patriarchy and hold on to that so much that it's scary for black women to look at them because they have always quote unquote been in our corner so when they choose patriarchy over race they've become essentially oppressive in nature and I can see that it took me some time to get out of myself to see that because at first it angered me when she said that oh not really angered me but I was like really um angered is not the word but really frustrated me because I didn't think it was so bad but maybe because I'm just oblivious to it and maybe I, I want I wanted to turn a blind eye but going back to my my own lineage right I would often hear my grandmother both my grandmothers had incidences with my grandfathers of domestic abuse and as a younger man you didn't know how to take it you know you didn't know how how to take it sometimes it was they said it in jovial manner because out of the love and the respect that they had for your grandfathers but still, they, you know, they had this kind of like this gaze in their eyes of, of, of like they had to defend themselves, right? So I come from a, a strong line of, of, of matriarchs. The matriarchs in, in my family are like, they're strong women, right? But that's not something to be proud of. They were strong matriarchs because they had to out of necessity so just for example my grandmother 
on my mother's side. Um, and they're both from South America, by the way. But she oft, she told me she had a scar on her face, the, the length of her cheek. And at one point, I was a little boy, and I asked her, I said, Granny, how do you get this scar on your face? You know, children are so innocent. You know, you just ask the question. You, they, we don't have no tact. Children have no tact. They don't care. And I asked her, so how do you get this scar on your face? And she said, your grandfather had a straight razor, and he went to go slap me. And when he did, I, I seen that. We got in a fight, and I seen that she, when, he, when he slapped me, he had the razor in between his fingertips. So he cut me, and and when he cut me, we got in a fight, and and you know she said she picked up a piece of wood or something like that to go hit him, and he ran off or skirted off, and she said it in a way where she was like, yeah, we we often got in fights, and this is the man that had roughly like four kids with her. This is also the man that left her. Um, he went over to London to have a whole different entire family and there's no ill will to to him and his family and those are my aunts I always recognize them as my aunts from the other side which is amazing but this is not a this is not a a a rarity in my community this is not a rarity for for black men in general especially the older black men And, and my cousin and I we laugh at it you know, we laugh because it was kind of, it's kind of, it's very, excuse my language for the audience, it's shitty. It's a terrible thing. We laugh at it because it's like, wow, like to the lengths. And I was talking to my fiance today, the lengths of, of, of black men, you know, those of the Caribbean descent or even old African-American men. They had two families. This was a lot. We laugh at it now, but they had two families two distinct families two wives ex two to three kids and literally living a double life and they're in like the next city so I'm in New Jersey right so a man could have a family in Newark and then he could have another family in Elizabeth and he's spending just as much time as he is with his second family as his first family so I it's amazing to me but this is how black men treated black women in society. And I often, we talk about it. Both my, and, and I want to say like, that was my, my grandfather on my mother's side. He had a second family. Now my grandfather on my father's side, he hit my, my grandmother one time. And she said that that was the first and the last time he ever hit her. Was that they got into a dispute. And she didn't really give me the details of the dispute. But he said they got into a dispute. He slapped her. And she grabbed him by his testicles. And she squeezed as hard as she could. And he said, Ira, loose me. And Ira's the name of my grandmother. (laughs) And he let her go. I mean, she let him go. And he dusted himself off. And she said, and he, he walked off. And she said, that was the first and the last time he ever put, he raised his hand to her. And now my, my grandmother and my grandfather, 
he had multiple kids with her, but he never married her. And it's alleged, and I'm saying this because I don't know family history, you know, everyone has family history, is that he may have other kids and other, with other women, and, and that's who he was. He was actually a sailor too, so he never really settled down, so he was a merchant seaman. So he would come into harbors, you know, go to different islands, different places, and and that, that was his life. Smooth old man. Smooth man. Met him several times in my life, about two or three. And um, they have my love and respect, but looking at it objectively, women were like, they weren't the priority for men, and I and I have some theory about that. Me and my uh, my mentee, we talked about that, and we realized that the the nature of the oppressive society is that at those times, as a black man, you were being called boy, you were being called, you know, you weren't being respected um, at the workplace. You weren't being respected in society. So sometimes the only respect that you have is is to be domineering towards your wife. To be domineering towards the one you love because that's the only way you can exercise your independence. Through one's dominance of trying to be a man and your dominance through sexuality of having more kids or multiple kids or multiple families going out to the bar and meeting a woman because that is the only thing you had because you had to go back to status quo being treated like a boy in the workplace or being treated less than and then having to provide or finding a way to provide when there are very small means to do so so I get it I get it but that doesn't mean that women deserve it. That didn't mean my grandmothers deserve it. They didn't deserve domestic violence. They didn't. And these are the things that um, down the line I could see that we have to break generationally. We have to break those generational curses. And I see that now in today's society, black women have a voice all women have a voice and for my audience I'm using I'm, I'm going and I'm using women black women I'm using men black men interchangeably because the only lens I have is, is that of a black man I, I, I can't tell you the lens of a, of a white man I, can te- I can't tell you the lens of, of an Asian man I can tell you the lens of a man and then from there I can, we can have some points of relation throughout the whole spectrum but I can only tell you um, what my experience is so um, for those who want to ask that question I I just felt the need to to share that but going back to the oppressive nature that we've always that we have it's time that we revisit these things and often at times in my own life, I'm revisiting certain things. Like I don't mind cooking. I don't mind cleaning because it's not, it's not a woman's responsibility, especially if you want to move forward in today's times. 
because the times have changed. There, to me, the nuclear family was just something created in the minds, and few men, even in those times, could actually provide or be the sole provider or the sole breadwinner. But so that means we have to come and revisit what this is, what our relationship is with black women or women in general. And I often say that black, the black community is the litmus test for what America is going to be or should be or needs to improve on because we encountered first our women always had to work. Our women always had to be, quote-unquote, independent. Our women always were kind of devoid of having a second income or, or being prepared to not have a second income because they, their, their mates may have been incarcerated, they may have skipped out and left, and they always had the children to raise. So, as we continue on, my dad may be right. <laughs> he may say that the greatest war to ever happen is the war of men and women. But that mascara is not looking too far off. All we missing is Wonder Woman and her sister Nubia to go with the gold braces and start stopping crime. Because women do have the technology now in order to completely not need men. Men could be a novelty. If we don't change. And I often talk about, and I shouldn't say often, but in, in one of my readings and my recitings and my, and my poems, I talk about the seven keys in order to get to Godhood, in order to, to make medicine and to, to actually traverse the stars. Women's a part of that. Women wholly is a part of that. They are a part of the fabric and foundation of of every society. They're a building block. If they stop procreating, if they stop doing what they do, if they stop maintaining our infrastructure, because I wholeheartedly believe that the builders, because we're stronger, are men, naturally, affinity. But once men build things, they don't know how to maintain it. They don't know how to take care of it. They don't know how to flourish. They don't know how to enhance anything. It's the the, the glue that puts everything together are women. It's women who embody the philosophies and and the knowledge and they're they are the librarians of, of humanity. Not only the librarians, they are the they are the, the carriers of the civilizations. And we have not been kind to them. And I can tell you the reason, I can tell you how we're not so kind to them. So I'm watching 
what equality looks like. And I'm seeing that women are being assaulted predominantly, well, not predominantly, but in the news, in the media right now, black women are being assaulted. There was a, a man, I would even call him a man. There's a boy in a, with a man's body. He hit a black woman in her face with a skateboard because she denied his advances. She didn't want to talk to him. I'm alarmed by that because it's like, what happened there? Um, what happened? But I could tell you in my personal effect, right? Every time that my sisters, mainly my little sister, who got into spats with men who wanted to put their hands on them or, or, or speak roughly or threatened, and I'm telling my audience, I'm not the toughest guy in the world, but there are some rules amongst men that you know I discussed. And the rules are that there are men who have to speak up for their quote-unquote women in their lives. So that's what the olden days of a woman was spoken for. Not that she needed, not need, she needed to be spoken for, but she has a representative to fight and, and die on her behalf for the women and kids. And I know this is steeped in old patriarchy, but those rules applied for a specific reason. So, I often would get into um, dialogues with my fiance, and we would just discuss, like, um, why would I, I, I do such a thing, you know? And one thing that's interesting, too, in patriarchy is that men and women, for us to be, to, to work at this thing together, regardless of your, your sexual orientation how do you, your, ident- your identity, I'm not getting into that, but in how we see things, well, me and her back in, in our dialogue was that if there is someone like her father, if I was to quote unquote put my hands on her, which I would never do. Her father, her brothers are supposed to knock my head off. I, and, and it's expected. As a man is expected. So any man who puts his hands on a woman, it's expected that a, a, a man intervenes in that situation. But we're not even seeing that anymore. So me as a a brother, a father, and future husband, I'm I'm appalled at, at, at my community, and it takes men to stand up to other men, to t- and to to make sure that this is right. And we have to we have to do a better job of that. So I'm a fond believer that manhood is not toxic. Manhood is something that is supposed to be a boon for one's community, a boon 
for your kids. And it doesn't matter about your your sexual orientation, your 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 gender identity. Being a man is a boon to all and everyone. So everyone in contact to me, I'm supposed to be like the fertilizer that to enhance the grass. That's what manhood is. That's what fatherhood is. He doesn't, he ain't there. You don't see him often. He plays the background. He's quiet. But no one believe that it's respect involved. But these are just some points that I, I wanted to, to share with my audience. And I'm very interested on how things are going to look in the future and and how we have to shape them to look and be the right way or else there are going to be there's always a cause and effect and we can't blame women for the ills of men we can't continue to to victimize them and say that well they should have done this or that that's we have to cut the baloney with that one. And we, we really do have to do a better job and be contrite and and step up and speak up and intervene when women are being, whether they're being harassed or assaulted. I've given you guys enough points to ponder. This is Cotton on the Rocket Ship. Peace.